Welcome to This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. I'm Colleen Mitchell, and I've had type 1 diabetes for over 24 years. By day, I'm a process analyst in the power industry, and by night, I'm a writer, podcast host, and accountability coach. I'm passionate about type 1 diabetes education and showing others that this disease doesn't define me. I'm Jesse Tuggy, and I've had type 1 diabetes for about eight years now. I love hiking and painting, and I'm looking forward to working as an engineer after college. My diagnosis has inspired me to take control of my future and learn everything I can about it. Each week on the show, we'll talk about real life with type 1 diabetes, bring on cool people with connections to type 1, and above all, encourage you to understand that this disease doesn't have to hold you back. This isn't medical advice. This is life with type 1. Welcome to episode 44 of This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. Today, we're talking about the honeymoon period. And no, this is not in relation to newlyweds going to the tropics. Quick reminder for everybody, if you have any questions about type 1 diabetes, please leave us a comment or send an email to colleen at inspiredforward.com. We answer listener questions in future episodes. And I have the win of the week this week. This is actually kind of a mixed win and fail. I discovered that there's a way to restart the G6 sensors, but the first time I tried it, it failed. And the second time I tried it, it worked, but the sensor was wildly inaccurate and it wouldn't accept any calibrations. There's a YouTube video on how to restart G6 sensors in 2020, which we'll link to in the show notes. The main thing that didn't work for me on the first try was not waiting between popping the transmitter out and putting it back in. I'm not sure why it was so inaccurate the second time or why it wouldn't accept any calibrations, but I'll continue to see if I can successfully restart a sensor session and have the readings be accurate. It's really important with Control IQ because it uses the sensor readings to give and stop insulin. I noticed that after I restarted it the second time, Control IQ was responding with increased basal rates because the sensor read 286 when my number was actually 154. So definitely be careful. Jesse, you have the fail of the week. Yes, and to be honest, I think this one's pretty interesting because I've never come across anything like this before. So this was fun for me a little bit but don't do it. So I leave some insulin in my car, like a little vial in my car because my mom really likes me to. And especially with how work goes and like how crazy your life can get, it's always a good idea to have some insulin with you. Now, usually I take it out of my car when I get home, but one night I left it in and I guess I just left it there for, I think a week due to me not working as much. So it changed colors. So, you know, when your insulin comes and it's clear, it's cool, it's nice, it's fun to look at. Well, it now looks like, and I, I have it still, I just, I haven't brought myself to throw it away yet. It has a yellow orangey tinge to it. So that's how you know your insulin is definitely expired. Definitely don't use it. But with the changing of the seasons and the heating of the warm weather, that definitely had an effect on it. But just remember, don't leave insulin in your car for too long. It will go bad. (laughs) That is like so scary because then you've lost all the rest of that insulin. It wasn't that much. So I used it until I was like a halfway bottle and used it one more time. So there really wasn't that much left in it. Okay. That's better. (laughs) Right. And it it was a spare and it was only for emergencies, like if I had pump failure or something. So I really wasn't too concerned about it. Okay. Because I've never seen an insulin vial go yellow, but I have seen them go cloudy. And I know that cloudy means you can't use it, but 
also if your insulin is yellow, definitely don't definitely use don't it. use it. <laughs> I think we passed that stage a while ago. Yeah. All right. So for the hack this week, I've noticed with Control IQ on my tandem pump, which is the algorithm that stops insulin for lows and gives insulin for highs, that my dawn phenomenon is a lot worse for some reason. I've consistently woken up around 95 to 110 MGDL and half an hour unhooked from my pump while I'm in the shower will bump it up to over 140 with a trend arrow angled up. So this hack is to bolus for my missed basal before I miss the basal and get in the shower or give a little bit up front and then a little bit after. And I have to play with this number a bit based on what it is before and where I think it'll go. So for instance, this morning, my blood sugar when I woke up was 110 and it was straight. So I gave, I think, half a unit. And when I got out of the shower, it was 116 and starting to go up a little bit. So I know that the insulin kind of caught my blood sugar, but it didn't catch it all the way. And once I hooked back up, I gave a little bit more and I've been smooth sailing ever since. So it's weird. I didn't really expect this to happen with control IQ that my dawn phenomenon would get worse, but it's definitely something to watch out for if you're on control IQ. So the honeymoon period. First of all, what is it? Well, the honeymoon period is the term used to describe the time after diagnosis where the pancreas still produces some insulin so that the supplemental doses from injections or a pump are minimal. It can sometimes seem like the diabetes goes into remission or disappears altogether, but unfortunately, that's not the case. During this time, the immune system is still attacking the islet cells in the pancreas, and over time, the pancreas stops producing insulin. That's when the honeymoon period ends. During the honeymoon period, a person with diabetes may experience normal or near-normal blood sugar readings while taking no to minimal insulin. Normal blood sugars for people with diabetes are after fasting, 80 to maybe 130, and one to two hours after meals is less than 180. And the honeymoon period also looks different for every diabetic. There are some campers at Panther Camp who barely need any insulin at all to supplement what their pancreas is still producing. It also affects insulin sensitivity, which means that after the honeymoon period ends, the diabetic will have to adjust all their ratios and their doses, and that can be kind of a chore. Based on personal experience, the honeymoon period will affect different people differently, just like everything else in the world. For instance, like Holly mentioned at camp, I had one camper in the younger group who we had to watch really closely because if we gave any insulin whatsoever for her lunch and then we went swimming afterwards her blood sugars would plummet so for like three or four days she didn't have any insulin with her lunch and she had a pretty hefty lunch too like sandwich lots of fruit you know all the good stuff that camp provides for us and like then tater tots yeah oh god tater tots. <laughs> tater tots are the bane of our camp existence as counselors it, I think it's like three days we have tater tots and we always have to like count out how many tater tots each camper gets. And Unless you're in the boy groups and then they just take canfuls and handfuls of tater tots. And then when you ask them how many they had, they're like, oh, <laughs> that sounds like my brother. <laughs> Anyways, comparing her to another girl we had, we had to watch really closely because her blood sugars would go screaming high in the mornings because her honeymoon period was a lot less than the, the other camper. And they had been diagnosed within a week of each other. It was a fun experience to have and to see how it worked for different people. But for me, it was an increase in insulin sensitivity. And 
the best way that I can describe the honeymoon period is like a sputtering engine when it doesn't have any gas in it. It'll work, it'll work, it'll stop, it'll work, it'll stop, 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 and it'll kind of work until it just dies. That's a pretty good analogy. Our poor pancreases. So who gets the honeymoon period? Well, like we just mentioned, it depends on the person's state at diagnosis. When someone is in full-blown DKA, which is diabetic ketoacidosis, it's unlikely that their pancreas is still producing any insulin. And so the chances of a honeymoon period are a lot lower. However, many diabetics diagnosed in adulthood will experience the honeymoon period and they'll likely experience it for a lot longer than those who are children at diagnosis. I just wanted to mention the honeymoon periods for people who had just been diagnosed. Yeah. Just to clarify, just, just to state it out there. So it's within like a week, you notice that your blood sugars are different than what they were at diagnosis. You mean the end of the honeymoon period? Yes. So your blood sugars will be very high at diagnosis. Right. But they'll probably be a lot lower than what you're expecting them when you first found out you were diabetic. And then from there, it just goes up. So it's like a, a roller coaster where the, you're diagnosed at the peak and then you kind of dip. And then once the honeymoon period ends, you go up again. Yes. Okay. That's a, another good visual. <laughs> so how long does the honeymoon period last? Well, anywhere from a few weeks to months to a year or more. Adults can experience several years of the honeymoon period. We talked with Alex Vickers in one of our earlier interview episodes and I think her honeymoon period lasted somewhere around a year, maybe more. I'll have to double check with her. Childhood diagnoses can have very short honeymoon periods or none at all. I was diagnosed at age two and my blood sugar was 544 MGDL. So I'm not sure if I ever had a honeymoon period. Doctors say that honeymoon period happens after diagnosis. So it's possible that my pancreas had stopped producing any insulin at all by the time I went to the hospital. It's important to note that continuing to take insulin during the honeymoon period, even in small amounts, can actually extend it. It can preserve the remaining insulin-producing cells for a while longer. However, they still need to monitor for levels that are outside the target range. Some doctors try to extend that honeymoon period as long as possible since the blood sugars can be healthy. And when blood sugars are within the healthy range, there is less chance that they'll lead to damage in other parts of the body. And those are the complications we talked about in an earlier episode. We've also talked about this a lot, but following a low-carb food protocol means that your body isn't spending a lot of energy and insulin on the wild swings in blood sugar that come from eating carbs. When you're in the honeymoon phase, making sure that your diet is low in carbs would also ease the stress on the pancreas's remaining islet cells and possibly extend the honeymoon phase even more. For me, the honeymoon period lasted for a while, a good couple of months. I can't give an exact time because when we finally gave up on the honeymoon period, it was at the end of summer. So I can't give an exact like week or like month when it finally was over just due to the warm weather and how the summer affects my blood sugars. Although being low carb is very good and beneficial for your body, I think it's appropriate to ease yourself into being low carb and accepting the fact that you're now diabetic. It's okay to give yourself an emotional adjustment period. And being Recently diagnosed is a big shock and it can be really overwhelming, not just for you, but also for those around you. It's good to take the emotional healing slow and make sure that the person that is diabetic in your life should be comfortable with their new lifestyle before making any more major life choices like low carb. All right. So why does the honeymoon period ever end? Well, it ends because the immune system has attacked the pancreas to the point that it no longer produces any insulin. 
you can't have another honeymoon period after the first one ends because there are no more insulin producing cells in the pancreas for the immune system to attack. Here's the outlook summary from medical news today. For now, the honeymoon period in type 1 diabetes is only temporary. In time, the remaining insulin producing cells will die and a person will need to depend on insulin treatments. And as yet, there is no cure for type 1 diabetes. However, according to the National Institute of Diabetes and Digestive and Kidney Diseases, ongoing studies are actively looking at ways to identify type 1 diabetes early and prevent it from starting, preserve the function of the pancreas, improve monitoring, transplantation, and other techniques, delay the progression of the disease, and prevent or reverse complications. One option they are considering is how to preserve beta cell function in the pancreas, for example, by restoring normal immune function. If scientists can do this, one day there might be a never-ending honeymoon period for people with type 1 diabetes. And I think that would be pretty cool. So what are our honeymoon period stories? Well, we kind of touched on them a little bit. And like I mentioned before, I don't think I ever had a honeymoon period at all because I don't really know for sure. And like I said, my, my number at diagnosis was 544, which is pretty high. And that makes me think that I did not have one, but I'll have to, again, check with my mom. I also asked this question in a Facebook group for type 1 diabetics, and we got a few responses. Someone never had a honeymoon phase. She was in full DKA at diagnosis. Another responder had her honeymoon period for about a year, and then she said it was a, a bad word show, crap show, <laughs> ever since. Another one is actually really interested in hearing people's stories because she's currently in the honeymoon phase, and she's interested in finding out what it will look like when that honeymoon phase ends. And another interesting story was someone went from a negative three contact prescription to 20-20 vision in about a month. She said it was too good to last <laughs> because diabetes can affect your vision. And that is one of the, the symptoms of having diabetes in the beginning is if your, your vision changes very rapidly, that's, a, that's an indicator. Jesse, what's your honeymoon phase story? So I got a couple of good ones. For me, the honeymoon period, I didn't understand so much what was going on, but I definitely remember a lot of the emotional content of the honeymoon period and being so newly diagnosed. So as I said earlier, my honeymoon period lasted a solid couple of months. So we are left to believe that it ended at the end of summer, but I do have a very vivid experience of what my honeymoon period was like, just to give a little overall summary. So it was about a month after I started my new life as a diabetic, and my mom finally decided to take me out of the house and go to a movie with my brother. It was like the dolphin movie where they rescue the dolphin, and then it gets sent to an animal rehabilitation center, and then there's a big storm, and I don't know why I remember the movie so much. It's just very vivid. Was that Flipper? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the only dolphin movie I know. I know it like it was 2011 it was they just came out with a, like a sequel to it not too long ago yeah it's like the tail the dolphin's tail is like cut off and like they had to figure out how to like Aww. make a new tail for it was, yeah it was a long time ago anyways at the time I was only on shots and finger pokes I didn't have a pump or a sensor or a continuous glucose monitor or one of those quick test blood sugar things like go on your arm and you test your blood sugar with just scanning it over your phone. So I really didn't know what being low really meant to me and how it felt to me. So about in the middle of the movie at the very climactic point where there's this big storm going on and everybody's in danger and you know it's all dramatic and everything, 
I felt weird and I remember telling my mom, hey, I don't feel so good. Can we test my blood sugar? And we went outside of the movie theater. We sat me down on the bench right outside and we tested my blood sugar. And I remember looking down at the screen and thinking, oh, wow, that's not good. My blood sugar was about 40. And I, that was the first time I ever went low. And I can't give an exact number of what the 40 was. I think it was 44 or 45. But I remember it being the 40s. And my mom was very panicked at the time. So I, I didn't panic, but I very much tensed up. And I knew that she knew what she was doing, mostly. So she gave me fruit snacks, a juice box, and eventually she even got me a corn dog from the food court because my blood sugar wasn't going up that fast. And we thought, oh, more carbs, that'll be good. You know, this, that, and the other thing, but it had fat content in it. So I think that kind of slowed the process down just slightly, but you know, it freaked me out a little bit, but I also knew that I was going to be just fine. So I'm not, I didn't panic, panic, but I, I did understand the seriousness of the situation. And then moving on to our diabetes spotlight, Beat the Bridge has been moved to online. Now we're recording this in the midst of the COVID-19 experience still. So a lot of the walks, runs, and marathons have been moved online for the summer season. So JDRF has this big Seattle run. It's called Beat the Bridge. Every year I do it and I feel great doing it and it's such a big moment of the year where I just feel all the love and the support for being diabetic and understanding that people really want to work on diabetes research. But this year due to certain events, the 38th annual Beat the Bridge Nordstrom run has officially been moved to online. The official Beat the Bridge website states, in the best interest of mitigating risks to the type 1 diabetic community, we are shifting Beat the Bridge to an online experience. Now, we're recording this on May 16th, and the, the run was supposed to be May 17th. So they have a countdown on their website saying it'll take place in about 22 hours and 30 minutes, which I'm glad they're still doing it because it makes me feel like I still have a community to rely on. But at the same time, I'm pretty sad that I don't get to go and run this year. So how does it work moving a, a run like that online? Like how do they, how do they track it? So basically, from what I've seen is you figure out your course yourself. It's 8K is the one that I do. So you have to figure out a five-mile run around your neighborhood or, you know, something like that. And then from there, you run and you send in your scores. Like you send in like what the time you tracked was. There's no really purely honest way to do it it's all based on merit so like they trust you to be honest with your time and everything I'm assuming there's been different ways to do this like I know some runs have been sending out tracker like wristbands others have you like log on to a website that'll track your apple watch or like a running watch do you know the Boston Marathon got moved to October so they're still gonna have that they're just postponing it for a little while and then another one, there was a 100-mile race, and it takes place in California, and they moved it so that you can plug in this thing to your treadmill or a treadmill, and then you just run for 100 miles. Honestly, that sounds terrifying. 
<laughs> I thought it was really cool. I kind of want to try it one day. <laughs> running, I think running a hundred miles in nature is a way different experience than running a hundred miles on a treadmill. Oh yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. And I'm sad about the whole like running season kind of being over, but at the same time, if it keeps people healthy, then you got to do what you got to do. All right. So our question for the audience is, did you have a honeymoon period? When were you diagnosed? And how long did your honeymoon period last for? Do you have any fun or different experiences with it? Please let us know in the comments. That is it for this episode of This is Type 1. You can find the show notes at inspiredforward.com slash episode 44. That's the number 44. And if you have an idea for an upcoming episode, please leave us a comment or send an email. You can get straight to our podcast page by going to thisistype1.com. Our music is by Joseph McDade, and our audio wizard is my husband, Tim. This is the perfect time to learn how to manage your mind. If you're stressed, burned out, overwhelmed, and want some help getting back on track and honoring your commitments to yourself, sign up for accountability coaching at inspiredforward.com coaching. I'm on all social media as at inspiredforward, and our email is colleen at inspiredforward.com. And I'm on Instagram as at JJ underscore Crystal K-A-T. Please feel free to send me questions or comments you have about type 1 diabetes or about the show. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends, your family, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, since that really helps other people find us. And be sure to listen next week when we talk about hot tubs and swimming. Summer's just begun, and many people will want to cool off or heat up by jumping into the pool, jacuzzi, lake, or ocean but it's important to know what to do when you're a type 1 diabetic. Remember, you control your diabetes. It doesn't control you. Hey, if you like what you're listening to on this podcast, you have to join us in the Half Dead Pancreas Club. It's my private community where you'll connect face-to-face with other people with type 1 diabetes, get personalized emotional support, and learn how to handle anything T1D throws at you. Join us over at inspiredforward.com community. I can't wait to see you there.